May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Tonight, as we mark the second Sunday in the season of Advent, we are met by the intriguing and rather wild character of John the Baptist. Last Sunday, as we moved into this season, we read words spoken by an adult Jesus, close to the end of his life and his ministry. This week, the lectionary effectively has begun to back us toward Christmas by having us consider a story that precedes the beginning of that adult ministry, a story that takes place right before Jesus goes public. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is how Mark launches into his version of the gospel. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his ways straight. There is no infancy story in Mark, no annunciation to Mary, none of those long genealogies found in Matthew and Luke, no mention of Bethlehem. It's typical of Mark's brief version of things, which moves along at a steady clip. His favorite word is immediately. It keeps a sharp focus on the things he believes his readers most need to hear. So Mark quotes from the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, and then without taking a breath, he trains his lens over on John the baptizer. Now, in past years, I've sometimes made the observation that John is engaged in something not unlike street theater or performance art, clothed with camel's hair, a leather belt round his waist, he's dressed himself like one of the prophets of old. What's more, John has moved well outside of the city walls to locate himself in the wilderness by the River Jordan. As Mark Allen Powell notes, in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Jordan River is the boundary marker for what came to be called the promised land. For the freed slaves who'd followed Moses out of Egypt and into the Sinai Desert, the Jordan River marked the end of wilderness and the beginning of life as Israel, life on the land. When they entered those waters, they knew their wandering was over and that God's promises were about to be fulfilled. So for John... To go out in the desert dressed like an old prophet and then to call people to wade into that river with him and to immerse themselves in those waters as a sign of their confession, their repentance, was to symbolically connect that people to the long and deep story of Israel and to say to them, God's promises are about to be fulfilled. Even in Mark's very clipped account, you get a sense of the urgency and the power of John the Baptist's message. 
People really need to prepare themselves, he says, for one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. And for John, that is very serious business indeed. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with Holy Spirit. You get a sense that John believes that if you've not got your life in order, then being immersed in the presence of the Holy Spirit would be akin to being plunged into a fire. Certainly the picture that emerges in Matthew's account of things, in which John proclaims that this coming one, this Messiah, will arrive with winnowing fork in hand. He will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. When Jesus does arrive at the River Jordan, he does something that rather surprises John. Jesus himself asks to be baptized. According to Matthew, John is so thrown by Jesus' request that he attempts to defer I need to be baptized by you. You come to me. And yes, Jesus does come to John. And he does undergo John's baptism, which probably left the baptizer shaking his head in confusion. It won't be the last time John will struggle to understand the nature of Jesus' life and work. See, when John had held out that image of wheat being separated from chaff, the good from the waste, he'd had a pretty clear picture of which was which. Yet when Jesus launched into his ministry, he kept inviting into his company some very chaff-like people. In fact, Jesus seemed to have almost endless patience for people deemed outsiders or unclean or beyond hope. The times he did lose his patience tended to be with those who had very tightly, neatly drawn definitions of being in, therefore you're out. Jesus' expansive vision, his enormous compassion, just didn't fit easily with John's picture of a self-respecting Messiah coming with a winnowing fork, ready to separate good from bad, And in Luke's telling, John will eventually send a couple of his own disciples to Jesus to check to see if maybe maybe he hadn't been mistaken about this Jesus being the promised one. So they go and they ask, go and tell John what you've seen and heard, Jesus said to them. Then basically citing Isaiah, he added, the blind receive their sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them. Tell John he wasn't mistaking about me, in other words, even if I'm not quite what he was expecting. Not that Jesus himself couldn't be rather tough-edged. His call from the gospel reading last Sunday was a call to wake up. Be alert. Be watchful. That shares some real common ground with the message of John in its urgency. Jesus didn't even shy away from using the image of harvest, even of fire, in some of his parables. 
Yet the long view of the New Testament is one that promises that Jesus' life and work ultimately will mean restoration, wholeness, completion, culmination, even for the very created order itself. There are rumors of that kind of a long view in the verses of Psalm 85 that we heard read aloud this evening. Quite probably writing from the context of exile in Babylon, the psalmist here is speaking out of an experience of having been badly dislocated and disoriented. Yet there are signs that perhaps Babylon, the captors, Babylon has had its day. And that a return home to Israel, home to familiar land, is in the works. And so this writer in exile calls his people to sing, Surely God's salvation is at hand. Surely the iron hand of Babylon is losing its grip. And then this, Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground. Righteousness will look down from the sky. The Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before the Lord and will make a path for God's steps. As biblical scholar Rolf Jacobson notes, This psalm takes qualities, kind of abstract qualities, like steadfast love, faithfulness, righteousness, and peace, and embodies them, almost gives them personalities as concrete entities. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet, as if on a road. Righteousness and peace are said to greet one another with a kiss. Faithfulness comes springing up from the earth while righteousness is pictured as looking down from the sky and walking a path along the ground which God will eventually walk. And so, Jacobson continues, this psalm poetically promises that these abstract qualities of the Creator are in fact as real as the more obviously tangible material creation all around us. Within creation, God's love is really present and incarnate for us in God's faithfulness, steadfast love, righteousness, and peace. And where, asks Jacobson, Where are these qualities, these qualities of faithfulness, God's faithfulness to us, steadfast love, righteousness, and peace, all God's things done for us, where are they more present and incarnate than in the one who is born of a virgin in Bethlehem's stall? Oh, but that's to get ahead of ourselves, isn't it? By two weeks, it's only two candles lit. We can't go there not quite yet. We'll get to that story. By way of this path called Advent, we will get there. In the meantime, though, heed this Advent call 
to prepare the way of the Lord, to get yourself ready to mark Christmas, but also get yourself ready to mark Christ's continuing work among us and Christ's return. And dare, dare to have the kind of biblical imagination to believe that steadfast love and faithfulness will meet like two characters on a road, that righteousness and peace will yet kiss our beautiful yet oh-so-wounded world sorely needs that kind of imagination. So torn, so battered, and yet so lovely, our world needs all of us to imagine it has a real future, and that's a future to be wrought in our midst by the coming Christ. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.